Welcome to uh, podcast number two of the Red Pill Rejects. Tonight, uh, we wanted to kick around the idea of uh, Jordan Peterson's sense of becoming a monster. And it's showed up on the Discord thread a few times. And I felt like maybe that was a, a good thing for uh, Mitch and I to kick around. And, and I think that... Uh, it's also something that that I, I feel is is often um, talked about and then kind of advertised as an important thing to to try and accomplish, but not really uh, very clear about how to go about doing that. And then how also to do that in a way that is respectful of yourself and and the journey you're on and and those around you. So um, we're gonna we're gonna look at this. Uh, topic from a few different angles and hopefully get some good feedback from you all and and uh, maybe some questions to go along with it. But hopefully by the end of our evening tonight, you'll have a sense of where to start and why to go forward with trying to figure out, uh, number one, how you, you uh, experience yourself as a monster and the most effective ways to create a uh, a workable uh, presentation of that that understanding to the outside world. So, uh, looking forward to this conversation tonight. So, to get kind of started with it, uh, this this came out of uh, a conversation that that Mitch and I got into on Discord about uh, just kind of a framing of of being a monster, and uh, we both dug into Jordan's works and kind of pulled up ideas and, and quotes from him. And, and we've been still to the, to today, even kicking back and forth what he really meant by that and how he went about uh, thinking about uh, putting those ideas to, to work. And so uh, if you have a sense of it out there uh, listening, of what you think he meant by it and, and how you felt like he would uh, apply that, then uh, hopefully you'll jump in. Yeah, there's a link in the description of the YouTube video and it's through StreamYard. You can just join, I'll patch you through. So if it's your first time and you've never heard us before, you're Dr. P, my name is Mitch Fox and we are here to help answer your questions and help walk you through whatever you wanna to talk to. It's kind of an open-ended question, whatever you'd like. Yeah. So one of the things we could do to just kind of launch into it is is kind of start talking about uh, what was what exactly does it mean to know yourself as a monster? You know, I think one of the challenges is is that uh, it's not really clear what he's, what he's saying by that word. Uh, there's a lot of ways to interpret it, and I think uh, some of the questions that kind of came out of that is is it a is it a call to recognize and accept our flaws, you know, or is it uh, to acknowledge our shadow selves? Kind of leaking, lurking beneath our our surface, those things that kind of affect us, you know, rocks under the stream, so to speak, that create ripples in our lives. Uh, does it delve deeper into exploring the often uncomfortable or unsettling aspects of our psyche that uh, we've been conditioned as men to deny? Really, you know, uh, especially in the last thirty years of uh, my life on the planet, that the idea that uh, we need to move away from our masculinity. We need to block or, or re-educate or, or change how we express ourselves as men. And I, and I think that's uh, something that he's alluding to. 
Um, you know, perhaps this exploration is about acknowledging the capacity within all of us to uh, create harm in our lives. You know, the potential to cause pain or act in ways that society deems monstrous. Uh, I think that's a literal kind of movement through the word. Um, it also could be that uh, in understanding this darker side of our humanity, that we can cultivate empathy, which I think is a key piece, uh, compassion and ultimately transformation. Because at the end of the day, when we try to live with others, if we don't have control over that, that kind of monstrous sense of ourselves or that, you know, those rip those rocks underneath the surface, if you will, uh, then we will, um, as I was saying to Mitch earlier before we got on, to, that there's a potential to burn people around us, to hurt them, to create chaos and, and disruption that, that uh, we then have to fix somehow or uh, creates uh, unbreakable um, problems in our lives with other people. So uh, that's kind of uh, was my kind of take on how to begin looking at this problem. Yeah, it was interesting. The first discussion was around the idea of being dangerous, right? Should a man right, be right. dangerous? That's where we started. And the idea of being a monster sort of evolved from that. And then there were some more quotes about that concept as well. But the first thing we were talking about is this idea of a man being dangerous. And the angle you took or your interpretation of Jordan's discussion was around being articulate. And then I watched a video which to me, made it sound like he was talking about physical, right? Having the ability to be physically violent or physically capable of doing violence or. Yeah. And after I watched that video, I went back and I found other ones that seemed like they went the other way. And it seems like he's talking about it from multiple angles. Honestly, it doesn't seem like he's taking it one direction or another. It's multiple angles. Yeah. Which I think if, if he was probably to put together a complete lecture on, on, being a monster, he would do that. He would he would take you on a journey around all the different corners and, and edges of this idea, uh, because I think it can be. Knowing yourself physically, I think, is a very important part, right? You know, you and I have had several conversations about the physicality of, of men and, and knowing how to be, uh, to move your body and, and to uh, not only, you know, if you will, kind of push energy out in the world, but to also... Uh, enhance your own energy, you know, training and, and working out and uh, like jujitsu and those things, creating power and, and force in your life. Uh, and I also think he's talking about it too, from other, like a spiritual aspect, as well as, a, as, as being articulate. He does say in other, other areas where he's speaking about uh, if you want to make yourself really dangerous, uh, learn how to speak, learn how to write, yeah. you know, yeah. That was the quote that I found. Actually, I shared it with my son and he's 11, so he couldn't understand Jordan. He listened to it twice and he didn't understand a word of it. But essentially, Jordan was saying for young boys specifically, the way that they can become dangerous is to learn how to argue properly and to articulate their message and to be able to speak clearly. Right. And that's really that makes them dangerous now to society because these types of boys don't fit in. And now they're able to argue with teachers. Like my son has learned how to argue and how to get out of trouble by using his words. And now he's become a problem because he can, he can talk his way out of a lot of situations. I learned how to do it as a young kid too. And that made me dangerous. I posed a threat now to my school, to my household, to whoever, because now I have the capacity to, 
to do real damage. Right. And I didn't have the ability to put it under control either because I was a young child. You know what I mean? I don't have my emotional capacity. I was an emotionally labile 11 year old. So I just did whatever I felt like doing. Probably had ADHD as well. Definitely had ADHD. Super impulsive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I think we were talking about it the other day. It, uh, with the, uh, the young man we were talking to in the sense that uh, this, not being able to understand how to speak properly and how to convey information and how to hold a, a position of clarity uh, puts you at risk of being misunderstood and maybe being passed over or seen as uh, not getting your message across properly. So like, you know, in terms of like dating or trying to, you know, get somebody's attention online, um, being able to convey information accurately and, and effectively, like what you think or what you feel or what you want to see or what needs to happen uh, is really critical. I think in those early stages of, of getting to know somebody. Now, the other side of it though, is the physical piece. And it, it almost seemed like you were playing devil's advocate or saying that it was almost like you were arguing. Um, but the point he was making was you have to be physically capable in order to be a good man or to be seen as moral, because if you're not capable of extreme violence, then, you're really not acting in a moral sense when you withhold your mighty rage, right? But if you can actually do serious damage, when you withhold that and you choose not to unleash that on the people who maybe deserve it, that makes you a good man because you have the capacity to do serious harm. Yeah. But then, the, the, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no go ahead. Well, the, if you took that thought that Jordan had and then connect the second thought that he had, which is this idea that if you look at something monstrous, you have the tendency to turn into a monster, right? That Nietzsche idea. Yeah. And people are often afraid of looking at monstrous things for exactly that reason. And then the question becomes, do you or should you turn into a monster? And he answers the question affirmatively. He says, yes, you should, but you should do it voluntarily not accidentally, and you should do it with good in mind. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems conflicting. It almost seems like those two ideas go against each other. How do you do, well, how do, you do that with good in mind? I guess like you can, you can kill someone if you're trying to save your family. That's good in mind, right? You're, you're doing an extreme act of violence. You're taking someone's life, but the good is to save your family. Sure. And I, and I think that's a reasonable statement, right? I need to be able to protect myself and those I care about. Uh, and, and I think that that can be done a lot of different ways. You know, I can do it in the gym and I can do it, you know, uh, in martial arts, I can do it in a lot of ways where I'm just physically the weapon of my own movement. I could do it also if I'm not physically inclined in other ways, whether it's, you know, weapons or other forms of defense. And, and being very, see, I think the, the key to this is the idea of personal responsibility. So like it's, if you're going to go about being investigating yourself as a monster, then you have to be, like he's saying, you have to be intentional about it, which means you take responsibility for the process. 
and what you find, you know, what you discover when you're there. And, and then bringing it back in a way, if you will, like as if it's a journey, uh, he often talks about it as a journey in terms of uh, kind of transformation or transcendence, moving into the shadow, engaging in, in its dialogues and understandings, and then coming back uh, a changed man, you know, in the sense that you're now capable and uh, that capacity is not only to create the savagery and the, and the destruction, but also to know when to do that and to do that well, responsibly and, and effectively. Yeah. Isn't that what you told me too? Uh, when the abuser recognizes and becomes self-aware of the abuse and then tries to make changes, that's kind of how things are uncovered. Right. It's once you recognize your, your violence or you've done it and then you begin to change and, and make movements because of that, that's, that's really what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're speaking with regards to what we were talking about in terms of trauma bonds, but yeah. uh, the, the, I think that's a really critical piece to resolving that. It's that personal responsibility, right? Like you're saying, I, ha I have to take accountability for what uh, what form of monstrosity I can convey onto the world and then understand that that is... So that, that's the thing I think that, that's... Uh, is not always conveyed. And that's part of what I was pushing on when we were talking in discord. It was devil's advocacy in the sense that, uh, the, the idea of making myself, you know, dangerous and, and, uh, um, in a sense, harmful and, and being able to imply that, uh, that's, that's carried pretty heavily in the dialogue, especially, you know, red pill dialogue and, and just out in the, the kind of masculine forward world. And I think that's, it gets, it gets misconstrued as toxic masculinity. And if you don't have the ability to articulate, then there's no way you're going to convey that in a way that it would put people at ease to make them feel safe. Yeah. And so you're just going to be a blowtorch in the world. And uh, blowtorches historically get moved to the, the edges. You'll be marginalized. You just burn everybody. You're just like constantly yeah. like, you know, the idea is that I'm going to uh, like, it's kind of like uh, old school alpha, you know, the guy that just walks through the gym and knocks everybody out of the way and takes right. whatever he wants to, and, and, you know, throws women over his shoulder and, you know, that kind of thing. That idea is right. that fuck you, I'm going to do whatever I want. And uh, that's great. You'll do it by yourself most of the time off to mm -hmm. the side. Yeah. No one's gonna give a shit. Nope. Your voice won't be heard. You'll, you'll, you'll have some moment. Those guys always get a moment, right? You know, it's like in high school, those guys always got a moment. They dated a bunch of girls for a while and mm -hmm. then you bump into them 20 years later and they're fat and bald and they've burned themselves out basically. And, mm -hmm. and they you know realize what? that's more funny. I know uh, someone very close to me, their father's a blowtorch and he literally roasted every one of his relationships, business, familial, whatever. And now he's sitting on a bunch of debt and he's by himself with his nagging wife and most of them are burned out that you know they dumped all that energy in a way so here's the other thing i was after which is that that by by taking responsibility in a sense it allows me to harness that energy right so a monster generates energy if you will like so like the, the old frankenstein idea right is that in order to fire up frankenstein he had to harness the storm's electricity you know and, and then it created energy inside of the being that that gave it all that power and, and movement and everything. 
And I think that happens when we go and become aware of ourselves in, in the shadow and in the monster frame is that we, we have this now potential energy, right? I have the potential. And so I'm, I've, I'm, I got to do something with this. And I can't go around punching everybody in the nose that I don't feel safe around. Otherwise, you know, every day I go to work, somebody's getting it or, you know, I'll, I'm just not ni- a nice person and I'm not civilized and I won't hold my marriages together. I won't hold my relationships together. Uh, I might get lucky, right? I'm some, somebody, you know, a few women might react to my energy and I might get laid a bunch, but that's as far as it's going to go. And so I have to understand how to work with that energy and use it to move myself forward, to manage my relationships, to, you know, close business deals, to do things that are, that are really uh, outside the per- a person who doesn't have that capacity. Well, a couple ideas I've been thinking about. Um, I'm thinking of Game of Thrones. When you think of the the guys who carry the largest swords and have the most respect where people kind of just move out of their way and they're respected, but they might be a bit of a blowtorch as well. Uh, have you seen the show? I've seen parts of it. Yeah, I haven't. Okay. I haven't uh, well, set I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to bother naming characters like we're on Twitter and doing 140 characters for you. But yeah. Uh, Go ahead and talk anyway, spoilers. Too. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> the point is, though, in, in that day, whoever was the best at fighting was kind of the most respected. And you could tell who that was based on the way they dressed and their sword. You could kind of look at it and make, oh, wow, your sword's made of Valerian steel. You must be the baddest fucker around here. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in jujitsu, you get to wear a belt that kind of signifies how dangerous you are. And the animal right. kingdom frogs have certain colors to signify their poison, things like that. But in the real world, we don't really have any belt system. There's nothing that shows your 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 danger level, right? Yeah, that's a good and point. And you can have people who are normal looking dudes who can <laughs> destroy you, right? These middle aged, like my uh, one of my my good friends, Matt Santos. He's a local black belt here. He just looks like a normal old fat guy. He's balding. He's got a belly on him. He will beat up like the vast majority of humanity, though. Like the guy he used to do MMA, Muay Thai, and you know been doing jujitsu for 25 years. You'd never know. <laughs> and right. here's the other funny thing, though. N- now, you're being articulate or business savvy is what gets you money. And money is power, which makes you, in fact, dangerous. Have you ever seen Sons of Anarchy? There's a character, Damon Pope, yeah. and he never throws a punch. He never pulls a trigger. But guess what he does do? Everyone beneath him does all that shit for him. They do his wet work, like Tony Soprano, right? Uh-huh. He, he, I mean, he gets a little fucking wild, but... Uh, he does some wet work here and there, but most of the time, the most articulate, the most dangerous of these people are the ones who are not pulling triggers. They're not throwing punches. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are really good examples. You know, I think that if, if I go back to the idea of, of, uh, of a river with, with like the stones in it, it's like, when I was a young kid, we did a lot of canoeing and, and I spent a lot of time on the rivers and, and you got to a point where you could kind of stand up in the back of the boat and, and look at the river and have a sense of where the obstacles were. Some you could see and some you just kind of had a, had a glimpse of and because of the way they affected the water above them. And I've kind of looked at, uh, I'm, I'm kind of the guy that avoids struggles like I, I really don't want to get in a fight and i really don't want to have to like do any of that shit uh i i build myself physically to be able to manage it but i don't want to do it and so i would rather read the river and so i think there's a trick to understanding like 
seeing people. So if you're going to, part of taking on responsibility is, is creating enough wisdom and knowledge about how to apply your energy such that you're able to read the river and of people. Like when you meet that guy with the, the bald head and the pot belly, you, you, you shake his hand or you look him in the eye and you have a sense that he's mm-hmm. very dangerous and that he's best, he's best kept in a good space. Like, I don't want to fuck this guy. And, and I think, the more time you spend on the planet, you know, in your 20s, you're constantly fucking shit up and getting in the wrong, you know, you end up in the wrong space, the wrong place, you're in the wrong bar, you're talking to the wrong guy, you're hitting on the wrong girl. Like, you're just not doing things right because you're not reading the water. You're just like plowing, you know, let's mm-hmm. just go, you know, bounce off of shit. You know, I'm durable. Yeah. I think I'll make it, right? And I think then uh, you have to kind of look at it in terms of, uh, I don't like doing that anymore. I don't like getting dented up and having conflicts and problems and challenges, but, uh, I'd like, I like being somebody who also, uh, that you have a sense when you look at me that I'm not, I'm not all that you see, like you're best to be patient and wait and maybe talk to me and be respectful and connect with me. I'm better off that. Right. So I'm not going around like a, like, yeah. Up out of the water, like, you know, waving my arms and telling telling people to watch out for me. It better I love the subtle part. And I think language helps do that. Mm-hmm. You know, a sense of yourself, right? Like you're saying, walking around knowing I could defend my family, knowing I can be lethal with, with my body if I want to be. That puts a ripple out on the water, man. And I think that's whether people agree with it or not, they're energetically reacting to it. People do. And it's really interesting. I don't look like a fighter, right? If you look at me, I don't have big cauliflowered ears. There's nothing about me that screams fighter, no scar tissue. But you know, people ask me, are you a fighter? I get that all the time. And I, and it's just like you said, people can pick up on energy and they're recognizing there's some intensity about me or there's something. It's like, hmm, you fight people, don't you? It's like, how did you know? It's, it's the stunning good looks, Mitch. That's what. Yeah, you're exactly. Like, mm, that guy looks charismatic and well, people have called me Conor McGregor, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. The guy's 5'8", I'm six feet tall, and I don't look anything like him. Like, I have a man bun, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't even have a man bun. It's bizarre. And I've got it a lot, too. It's not like one time. It's multiple times. Wow. Well, I guess if you're going to get confused with somebody. Uh... I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's an okay comparison, I guess. But yeah. I'm just saying, he's 5'8", for God's sake, you know? He's a wee man. He's a fucking murderer, too. He is also a murderer. But the, the interesting thing about casting your energy, right? I used to mm-hmm. run experiments with my friends. We'd go to bars and stuff. And if you go over to the, the edge of the bar and it's very crowded, you can go over there and kind of make your way in. And if you make yourself really small, people will kind of will just keep pushing you and you'll get fucking smashed off the end of the bar. But if you spread out, make yourself bigger and just kind of start looking towards there and ca- like your energy from your chest is like pointing towards people. People recognize now you're looking at them. They're like, what the fuck? Why is he looking at me? And people will start moving away from you. And you can actually clear a whole section of the bar without talking to anyone. I do it all the time. You can yeah. make people move from a pool. Like we go to the hot tub and I just get in the hot tub and the whole thing gets empty. And it's not like I'm yelling. I just get in. And for some reason, people are like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. So me and my wife have the whole thing to ourselves. Or we'll get in and we'll start talking. And they're like, we don't fit in here. And then they just leave. Because we didn't invite them yeah. into the conversation. We're clearly having our own. And they're like, all right, I guess our time's spent. Right. And that's just an energy thing. That's not being mean or, or 
whatever. Right. So I think that the, the more conscious of you are aware of it, you realize it's in everything. It's in your language. It's in your word choice. It's in the volume of your voice. It's in the way you carry your shoulders. It's why Jordan starts the first chapter of his first book by saying, stand up straight. You know, he does that. He goes through like whatever, 50 pages of talking about lobsters uh, to really drive home that idea that by holding yourself upright and, and with your shoulders back and engaging the world in that forward facing position uh, that you exert yourself uh, as, as someone with capacity you just, you, you have capacity. I don't know what it is, but you have something, right? Right. And you have uh, that it. It's that thing. You got something going on. And, and, and I think that's when you generate that, then women get curious, right? If you're a young person, you're out dating and you're slumped over, like you were saying, and you don't hold space, uh, nobody's curious about that guy. No. No. And sometimes I, I will do that on purpose. I will close my energy off to be alone because I'm a, an introvert and I need to recharge my batteries and I don't want to be communicated with. Therefore, I close my energy off. You can yeah. do it with uh, putting even glasses on, right? Even if they're fake glasses, you put some glasses on, put a hat on. You go to the gym, you put a hat on, flip your hat around, right? And then all of a sudden you got your headphones on. People won't fucking talk to you unless you're really hot. Then they might. If you're a chick and you're doing some squats, they'll, they don't give a fuck. They'll come take you and pop your ear pods out and try and hit on you. Right. But as a guy, you're not, you don't going to have any problems. No, no, no. You know? I mean, girls don't talk to me because my personality and my uh, language, my body language is, is usually uh, kind of closed off and confident. Like girls are not going to try and take a shot at me. It's pretty uncommon that a girl's going to throw a number my way. Um, it's interesting though with women and men the way that they they interact with each other and the way men are much they're supposed to go and talk to women and women really don't do that it's kind of weird for them and if a girl yeah. does you're like wow you must be a, a fucking psycho huh that's at least what i think if a girl hits on me i assume that she's completely batshit it's interesting because i think that if if we were to look at like energy and and uh the projection of energy uh, I would say that's, I, I've always like give somebody the benefit of the doubt, especially if I don't know them. And so I would be like, wow, there's, I'm putting off something that this person's willing to go against social convention to take a risk mm. to get some of that fizz, whatever that is. You know, they're just like, what the fuck is that? I gotta have it. I just want to take a shot here. I, I don't. Yeah. Right. So that, that idea that they would transcend some social norm in order to, to, to try and, and get connected to it. Another thing we were talking about before it was tangentially related, but this idea of being dangerous is also appealing to women and they won't really admit that, but they want you to be physically dangerous, even to them, even if you're capable of hurting them, they're okay with that. They're hoping that you don't cause them physical violence, obviously, but they want you to be capable of hurting other people. And my dad, he grew up, or my, my parents, moved out to California when they're like 18, grew up in Massachusetts and they doing hell's angel stuff, riding bikes. And my dad would regularly beat the shit out of people. People would hit on my mom or weird shit would go down. My dad would just fight people. He didn't ask questions. He just fought. That was a kind of style. I actually don't remember why I was telling this story. Can we back up for one sec? 
I was just looking into your glasses and seeing you clicking on things, and I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay. Got, uh, oh, oh, I remember now. Scared. So my father was a very uh, dangerous scared. person who's capable of violence, <laughs> and it, my mom liked that about my dad. She loved the yeah. fact that she'd be at a bar and my dad would knock some dude unconscious in front of her because he, he hit on her or being gross or grabbed her ass or whatever, mm-hmm. and this, this is attractive. But a lot of people won't admit to that. It's somewhat provocative. Yeah, I think because it's a it's a confusing thing. Like it's 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 like they want the the implication of it, you know, the, like potential. But right. I well, the, but I don't w- want women any like of that. to be scared. Well, like is a I don't know. I They're attracted to it. How about that? that? Let's just say it makes them feel things. They their emotions like that. You know what I'm saying? Like that it makes them have the feels. Uh, a, a scary thing is is also feels right. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative; they get the same juice from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think I think one of the challenges is that the brain the brain doesn't differentiate between excitement and and fear. Uh, and fear. It, it runs yeah. down the same pathways, and so yeah. you know if they if they're confused about what they're experiencing, then yeah, they'll just have this. They'll just be like they'll just be like, wow, why is this guy making making me so interested and, and excited right now? And um, I think one of the things by doing your work and being disciplined, you you create the opportunities so that if they do go that route, if they they are like heading down that road, that what they find at the other when they dig into it is somebody who's uh, stable and capable and high functioning and not aggressive and, and controlling and, and uh, you know, emotionally stunted and, and lacking capacity to manage the complexity of relationship or life in general. I mean, I think that's the thing I see a lot of is, uh, that that they that they're very much interested in and in, in being taken care of and being connected to uh, the the challenges is that oftentimes when when men are they're really striving for that let's just say for for our conversation tonight that that kind of sense of the monster uh, that they don't do it with with discipline and and uh, empathy and so then. Um, it takes a few months for that to come out clearly. And by then oftentimes women are committed or engaged in the relationship and they're stuck. Hmm. And, you know, then that's when oftentimes I'm involved in that, trying to sort that process out. Um, so one of the things you, we talked about earlier and uh, it was this idea of understanding and accepting the darker aspects of our nature. And then we were talking about shadow work. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could explain Maybe you talk about your question in general, like what does it truly mean to understand and accept the darker aspects of our nature? And then how does that tie into shadow work? Yeah, so that's a good point because the the statement, you know, truly understand and, you know, the deeper, darker aspects of ourself is really vague and it's an application. Like it's, you know, really what does all that mean? Um, you know, the way I look at at, at shadow work is in a sense uh, the story of like transcendence, which is that I'm, I'm trying to facilitate a movement from one understanding of myself to a more complete, 
more effective understanding of myself. And so the work often starts with a, with a kind of a clarity process of like, who are you and, and what are you doing? You know, what, what, how are you moving through the world right now? Uh, you know, I like to, um, sometimes if, you know, if people like to journal, you know, we're going to write that, I went write write it down, sort it out that way. What, what, what are you experiencing when you think of yourself and, and what are you finding, uh, is causing you problems? Where are you jamming up at? I mean, we got to kind of find where the friction points are first, because oftentimes it's in those points that we create the transitional movement into shadow and out of shadow. So, uh, you know, if you lose your temper all the time, then the shadow is engaged in that process of, of expression of, so then we start with emotional identification. What are, what are the things that drive you emotionally? And, uh, maybe that's visually, maybe it's auditorily, maybe it's just physically inside your body. And then we look at, uh, where does that take you when you get, when you express that, you know, um, you know, people break up with you, you get fired from jobs, you know, there is some dysfunction socially around that. And then it is through that, that kind of moving back and forth in that experience, you know, some shadow work that I've done has been exploratory of and thinking in terms of like, imagining yourself in a different realm and in a different framework, and how would you hold yourself? And what would you, your, you know, if you were in the game of thrones if you put yourself in there what would that look like who would be your your mentors who would be your archetypical pursuits those kinds of things that where you're trying to you're trying to create a relationship with moving back and forth so because what happens is is that if let's just say you were saying like i want to withdraw and i need to recharge myself well that process may include going into that shadow connecting with yourself as that as having capacity of being able to be durable and, and solve problems and fix things and, and, uh, be strong, be grounded. And you may have to go into that shadow to be able to do it. So it's not just a one trip and then I'm done. In my opinion, it's, it's being able to transcend and move back and forth through that understanding of yourself because we're not always on our game. We don't always have everything perfectly done. And so, we have to be able to move back and forth. So the beginning starts with an understanding of yourself and the way you're moving through the world, the way the world move, you know, pushes back against you, your relationships, where are, we, where are their emotional uh, tensions, and then really just looking at uh, how do you want to engage yourself differently? When you, when you take that energy and move out into the world, do I need to be going to the gym every day and burning off a big chunk of that so that I am palatable, if you will, uh, to those around me so I can work with them so that they can, you know, they don't get singed being around me. And, and then I think being really looking at it in terms of creative ways of doing that, how can I, uh, increase my vocabulary, uh, you know, pick up, uh, hobbies or activities that bring me to a better understanding of myself and, and vent some of that energy out and round me off as a person, uh, then we're talking about how we then move out into the world, problem solving, you know, using that energy that, and that understanding of yourself, maybe in business. Uh, I work with management teams and we look to try and understand what is motivating each person into that, into their work every day as a team and looking for friction points and then resolving those points. Um, and, and, and that can happen because we're able to understand 
where people are coming from and they can talk about it. And because you've done that work, moving backward and forward and kind of engaging the world in a different way, and you can talk about it and you've been writing about it, you can see how we take those pieces he was talking about and uh, we use it to create kind of a, a clear understanding of, of what it means to push yourself through the world, you know? I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I kind of rambled a bit, but that's my yeah. Part. It's the dark parts of yourself are not always easily seen, though they lurk beneath the surface. And without mindfulness, and most people are completely unaware of where they're getting tripped up. They have no idea. Right. I like to use the term "stepping on your own dick." People have no idea sure. where they're doing that, but they're tripping all the time, and they're just falling on their face I'm like fuck. And I ask them, "Well, what happened?" I don't know. I just, I was hanging out, I got bored and I was jerking off the porn for like three days before I realized like, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. Just no self-awareness. So how do people start to develop that? So well, in that don't... case, yeah. In that case, we often work backwards, right? So let's just assume that, uh, we've got a situation where a guy just lost his job, just got fired. No clear idea why just showed up. They terminated him. There's your first ripple, if you will, right? That we we can identify. And so then we just work, we reverse engineer that. We come back through the process and, and looking at uh, that person's best guess as to what happened. And, and hopefully they had an exit interview and somebody spelled it out for them. You know, it was their attitude. It was the way they were working with their colleagues. It was their, you know, their language, their lack of, uh, discipline and the, in the, in the professionalism, something, you know, with their, with their work. And so then you take that and you look backwards through that in terms of what was going on for you. And that's when you find things like, um, that you were, uh, you, you know, you're not sleeping, you know, you're jerking off to porn for three days and you're not, you're not sleeping and eating and, and you gave up on the gym and, and you're just, you're just kind of fucking off. And, you can manage that for a while, but then it starts to slide. And then, so we go back and we find, well, what was, what kind of generated that idea that, okay, this is okay. This is a, this is a way to spend my day or my weekend or whatever. And, and then you work into that kind of reasoning and that the, the conversations they're having in their own head. And then you start to find that if you're not engaged in understanding yourself uh, within the shadow, the shadow's affecting you. That energy is not just, it doesn't just sit there dormant until you show up one day and go, oh, there you are. Cool. Uh, climb aboard. Let's go create some mayhem. It's running the whole time. And if you're not aware of it, and if you're not connected to it, then it will absolutely affect your life. And so, so maybe, can you explain the shadow self a bit? It's, it's a kind of a tricky term. You know, you're, we talk about the ego yeah. and this, like, what is your shadow self? Well, there's a lot of, like, if you were to Google it, you were to look out at it, uh, you're going to find a lot of different things, mostly starting with Jung, who was, was looking at, at, at the shadow as, as, in my understanding of it, is, is an aspect of ourselves that drives us. So Freud kind of, you know, Jung was a student of Freud, well, colleague, and uh, Freud had this idea that we were all like kind of repressed sexual beings that were driven by that whether or not we had uh, an adequate or appropriate relationship with our parents and uh, specifically our mothers and then how that then uh, uh, affected us. So big rock under the water, 
our relationship with our mom, how is that causing things to move and, and create problems for us? Um, and he said, by going back and looking at that, in other words, free associating and talking our way back to that, we could engage that, that old idea and, and rework it. Okay. This is, this is a, a really common theme amongst the guys that I work with is this mm -hmm. idea of mommy issues. And I was just mm -hmm. talking to my wife about this today. Guys that need to have a stable of women, that's usually indicative of something. And I asked my wife, I said, what do you think that's indicative of? She <laughs> said, uh, low self-esteem, mommy issues, uh, et cetera. Right. right? These guys have validation. Yeah, they have validation yeah, yeah. holes and they're just chucking girls into it as much as they can trying to feel better and they never feel better. Right. Yeah. How do you? Uh, I mean, that? I, I, that sounds like a reasonable theory. <laughs> like I'm not I don't I don't know right. if there's a clear understanding of of of, uh, but there's a, a definitely, a, there's gotta be a connection between mommy issues and guys who have to have sexual conquest to feel good about themselves. I don't know. I mean, look at it this way, dude, if you're, if you're, if you've got the golden ticket and you're able to land babes in a, in a yeah, rapid order, well then why the fuck wouldn't you? I mean, right, but I, listen, you can get you can go to a bar and you can get shots in rapid order, right? But not everyone wants to do that. It's not their cup of tea. I'll and be some, dead in, in an hour. Like I right, can't but do that. My right? point is some guys, and it seems like my the guys I connect with all have the mm -hmm. same thing. They're a bunch of programmers who lift weights and are into fighting people and are trying to make lots of money, and then also are sexual deviants who really want to fuck girls. It's a really common thing. Yeah. Is, is it just, is that all men or just? <laughs> well, no, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, the thing is, it's like how successful are most of those men at, at fucking girls? Uh, they varying degrees, you know, some are very varying good at degrees, it. right? Yeah. So some are better, some are worse. You could say that, a, that a, that's, so the whole mommy issue thing is, is, is this sense that, that you're not, so this is the problem I have with like attachment issues from bonding and, and stuff as an infant and, and all of these childhood things, traumas and stuff like that. The, the, the challenge I have with them is that they don't take into account that we are growing and evolving as we age. And, and I think if you're in your 20s and you're trying to figure out what the fuck your world is, uh, then you're doing exactly what you should be doing. The 20s are about, in my opinion, are about determining what's useful from your childhood. Mm. Yeah. And what what do I need to learn and engage as an adult? And there's they're not a lot of stuff that you built as a 14-year-old doesn't fucking work in a boardroom <laughs> at 26. Right. right. And and you can't just like stomp your feet and and uh somebody doesn't just give you a uh 50 bucks to shut up and you know it, it just doesn't happen that way and so i think you see a lot you see some people that are operating like you are they're, they're looking for validation why well because there was no it was it was everybody was giving it to them you know maybe they they had some athletic capacity or maybe they were just really smart or maybe everybody just wanted to make them feel good so they would shut the fuck up and so they just you're a great guy here's your participation trophy you're the best there's always, you know, there's no second place. There's always just winners. Everybody's a winner. You could be whatever you want in the world. Just apply yourself. 
And so then they have this, this sense of themselves. And so it's just, they'll hang out with a girl long enough for her to be able to say, oh, you're hot. And you, you know, you, you did a great job of banging me. But uh, two days later, they realize you're a fucking goon on a texting and, and you're an idiot uh, with any kind of sober conversation and they're gone. They just, you know, they're out. And so he's, cycling through the next one and cycling through the next one and all right well, you know i get it but that's not i think that's i don't think that doesn't people are more more varied than that so i don't generalize to a particular thing like that but i think that there is something to it that there's validation necessities whether that didn't come from mom or not i, I there's no evidence to all right, support all right that, here, here's a here's a different idea and this is yeah. close to and this is because it's my own personal situation and that's why sure I, yeah it's anecdotal purely anecdotal, but it's also seems to be consistent with the people I've talked to. If you had a mom growing up who was really busy and had to work a lot and you were kind of just left alone and you were a latchkey kid and you never really felt like your mom loved you and she would abandon you places, drop you off at your aunt's house. You just get dumped anywhere and everywhere because you were an annoying little fuck face and your mom just wanted to get rid of you. So she'd go live her life, right? If that sounds like you and you were a little kid because you had ADHD and you're annoying and all you did was talk, Again, consistent across the board. We're all a bunch of autists with ADHD who smoke weed, play video games, jerk off to porn. It's like, you know what I mean? They're all consistent. It's because our parents couldn't stand us. They let us go. We ended up looking at porn, doing drugs, playing video games because we had no parents, right? right? And that's what developed this whole culture that we're living in right now, which is completely addicted to female uh, validation because our, our parents didn't validate our moms didn't validate us. And oftentimes we had a really bad push-pull relationship where they were shitty to us and we got addicted to that shitty reward system with the push pull. And now we look for that in women because we're used yeah. to that, right? We have I, these I, really toxic relationships with our moms where they're fucking weird and abusive to us. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know how to do with it. Like they're doing silent treatment to us. We're like, what the fuck? I'm just, <laughs> why are we doing silent treatment? I don't understand this. Right. And none of it makes sense. And it's happening to our dad and we're witnessing it. And then we grow up and we don't, no one taught us a fucking thing about women. And then all of a sudden you meet one and you start having sex with them. And then you're really addicted to it because it's the greatest thing in the world. And all you want to do is tell them how much you love them and have sex with them. And then they're, you know, creating a ton of problems now to codependency and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> right. So basically what you put on the table is, you know, one of the worst case scenarios I've ever heard. So like, are you going to get a negative outcome from that? Probably eight times out of 10, you're going to get a negative outcome. But there's two times out of 10, you won't, because that just happens to jive with that kid. And he takes all that adversity and he takes all mm -hmm. that stuff. And he just, for whatever fucking reason, genetics, you know, uh, twist of fate, whatever, doesn't follow that same path. And so that's why I'm always like, you'll find when, when we're talking about these things, what this happened last podcast too, is that you'll find that I give this space around that for there's not blanket, you know, if this, then that, that works in science. It doesn't work in, in, yeah. in people and, uh, and, and people are, are really varied. You know, what is that, that idea that you, the odds of you existing is one. And uh, I was listening to DeGrasse Tyson the other day. It's like one in 3 trillion, some huge number that you actually exist that you actually exist, not that there's somebody who exists like you, but that you even exist at all. And, and so that's how much variability there is in people. And so I don't like to say, 
girls like this or yeah. men are like this because... well it's because i'm a sith only sith speak in absolutes and i oftentimes <laughs> speak in fucking absolutes okay i get it i get, I get it. it i get it so i just want to <laughs> i just wanted to clarify why i leave space for the fact yes. that it may not fucking work that way totally and, and, right so it's the right. same thing to what we were talking about in terms of knowing yourself. You may get into the shadow and just find it's just shit and you don't like it. And you don't want to be there. I think you still have to understand what to do with it, but it doesn't mean you have to like, then go see yourself as this, uh, this, you know, destructive, right. all this stuff. I don't think well, that's necessary either. Someone asked me a question on discord yesterday. Sure. I said, well, the way you dealt with that situation was really good. And it's, it's inspiring, blah, blah, blah. How do you do it? How, how do you get better at it? And the answer is you put yourself in emotional situations where you have to have emotional reactions that crop up and then you analyze those things that happened, right? Because what happens is the shadow self manifests itself when we have, um, you know, it's from emotional reactions that we haven't fully dealt with yet. They're from our childhood usually. So if you were a little kid and your sister didn't give you what you wanted, and your response was to flip out, start yelling and stomping your feet and crying until she did what you wanted. That's what you're going to do as an adult, unless you deal with that. Right. Right. Well, unless, unless, you know, like I said, in your twenties, you stop and go, wait, that doesn't fucking work. I need to do something different. Or right. whenever you get around to it, whenever you begin to realize that stomping your feet and throwing a fit doesn't work. So you can learn those without a lot of self-awareness is my point. Because those at four years old, they they don't work very well for a while. Maybe about six, seven, eight. You stop using those. You you chuck them. But yeah, I'm always amazed at how much how much work it takes to get those sorted out, though. But I my mean, ex, you, go ahead. She's, she's forty, and or yeah, she's forty, and she still does the emotional temper tantrum, stamping your feet. So some people don't have the emotional capacity or the self awareness to get rid of even the nine year old behaviors. I would, whatever, say they, I would say they they lack motivation. Hmm. So it's not I've never awareness. Met anybody, I've never I've never met any. Well, awareness like awareness, in my opinion, comes from motivation. If you don't have a reason to be aware, then you're not going to be aware. And awareness is a practice, right? It's like oh, common yeah. sense. People are like, "Well, that guy has no common sense." It's like, "Well, he has no practice at being having common sense." Well, what if like they're aware but they them. they suppress that? Isn't that what narcissists and people who have um, BPD do? They kind of create a false self and believe in it. That's it's not really a true version of them. I think that those people, uh, and this comes from like 20 years of working with BPD, uh, is that they're scared to death and they're trying to create safety and security. That's what's yeah. motivating them. Now, yeah. they're doing it in a profoundly dysfunctional way <laughs> that burns and, and, and singes the earth around them uh, and, and will create just wreckage, like stacks of wreckage. Uh, and I, and, but I think that the... The, the trick is to say awareness comes from intention and attention usually shows up because somebody's beginning to notice that something's not working right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you may have to do that over and over and over again. And it's why like in my position and I've, you and I've talked about this a lot, the, 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 the role of patience becomes really important. So if you're working with a partner on understanding yourself as a, as a, as a, having whatever monstrous capacity or whatever 
you need patience and they need patience to be able to slow down because this is a practice. I have to like, I have to go back and forth and think about it and make mistakes and be able to talk about those mistakes. So humility is a big part of this, you know, understanding that I might hurt someone's feelings while I'm doing it. And then I have to then hold space for the, for that healing that they need. This is the thing I don't think gets talked about enough uh, when I read a lot of the red pill stuff is that sense of responsibility to other people uh, as a result of our actions. Our actions have consequences. All of them do. Everybody's do. And I think powerful men uh, understand that very clearly hmm. and are willing to work with other people uh, when that goes astray or they inadvertent. Because we can, e even though I may be fully aware of what I'm doing and very intentional about it, I still fuck shit up. I still make mistakes. Well, what about, I mean, I can kind of call bullshit on that. There are plenty of dangerous, rich, powerful people who have no self-awareness and, and don't pay attention when they hurt people or they don't give a fuck. I would say, I would say that if you get to that, so part of the, the challenge of, you know, and Jordan talks about this, when you get to that, if you're like the half percent or whatever, I don't know any of those people personally. So I'm talking about it kind of from across the lake because uh, they are very far away from me. But uh, he talks about it in terms of that, that to get to that level of, of position, you're, a, you're not a very agreeable person. And so the, the, I think that what happens is that that not giving a fuck isn't coming from their capacity to, to be self-reflective. Like they, are not, they may not even need to do that. If, you, if you've got that much money, you don't have to think about shit. You don't have to think about anything you don't want to think of. If, if somebody's not, if a bill's not getting paid, that's somebody else's fault. If my lawn is overgrown, that's somebody else's fault. None of this shit's my fault. And uh, I would say a lot of these guys have really dysfunctional relationships, you know? Most of them are divorced once or twice or three times or whatever. And, and uh, they lose staff all the time. Uh, you know, it's hard for them to, to keep uh, prominent and effective people. Most of the people are attached to them because there's money flowing out of them. Uh, not because okay. they want to be there. So what's this idea of a dark empath? Isn't that kind of the idea of someone who's a cognitive empath where they've learned to study the behaviors and what empathy looks like, but they don't actually have it themselves. Yeah. I love this. The, uh, the idea of an empath, right? Somebody that can read someone's feelings or like has a, has some sort of psychic sense of their feelings. That's, that's a made up thing. Like when, when, when researchers study this stuff, we're really shitty. We only get things right about 30% of the time when we think we know what someone's feeling or thinking or experiencing. Right. We're not very good at it. And in reading body language, we're even worse at. And so the, uh, Chris Voss talks about a lot of this stuff in his book uh, about negotiating. You know, it's, it's stunning what we think we can do and what we actually can do. And, uh, and so uh, the idea of a dark empath, let's just assume that there's a sense of, of capacity, right? That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use what I know about human nature and human behavior. And I'm, I'm cute, acutely aware that I can use it in a way that, that, that I can manipulate people and get them to do what I want them to do. Okay, great. To what end? That's where I always, like, what are you going to do with that? 
Am I going to be in my one of my counseling sessions as a couple in, in in two years or five years when you finally, when your partner finally gets a fucking wind of that and knows you've been fucking with them the whole time, which will come out. It always does. You know, your friends bail out on you. Uh, nobody wants to hang out with you anymore. Your, your, your business associates figure out a way to get you out. They just buy you out or get rid of you somehow. Like this is how this shit rolls. And I think that, yeah, is it, is it a capacity? Can you do it? Would it be helpful? Okay, sure. Might advance your career a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm under the impression that a lot of rich, powerful people have learned to just study human behaviors and are, you know, psychopaths, essentially, where they've, they don't have a lot of capacity for emotion, but they've studied it enough that they can recognize what's going on and work their way through it if they're smooth. And you talked about this earlier, this idea of like getting all beat up and you kind of smooth out as you move through and you make less of these mistakes. And these really smooth psychopaths are the ones that don't end up in jail, right? Those are the ones that you see who work for big banks and, you know. I, I tend to see those guys more as sociopaths. Okay. If, you, if, you're bothering, if you're bothering to pay attention to social constructs and the way right. people yeah. think and move, yeah. you're not a psychopath. You don't, those guys don't give a fuck about that shit. They don't read people because they don't care. Hmm. I mean, they can manipulate people very well, but it doesn't matter where you are. You're going to go where I want you to go, right? You're going to, you'd be sad and, you know, your, your mom might've just died and I I don't give a fuck. Like I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to pay for my dinner or I'm, you know, I'm going to kill you and stuff in a suitcase, like something, I'm going to get what I want out of that, whether, no matter where you are, that doesn't matter. Right. But a sociopath, on the other hand, is very interested in where you are. Yeah, they're, so they're smooth. very concerned. They want to know where you are. They want to know actually what's socially acceptable to do at any point in time. They don't make mistakes that way. Mm-hmm. And so they're very ingratiating. They're very, very conscientious. And uh, and that's how they do their work. But uh, that's how I differentiate them. I and I'm sure I'd, somebody would argue with that. I'm sure uh, somebody's going to chime in not like that idea, but that's my way of looking at them. I, I was just wondering if there was any crossover in this idea of being a dark empath relating to the other stuff. But well, I think I think people that have grown up wealthy, uh, they just don't care. They don't have to care. Like mm-hmm. I said, somebody else takes care of everything, and they just don't care. People that have have rapidly become wealthy, I haven't seen a lot of study on like you know uh, dot coms and and these guys that are startups and making making a ton of money that way uh as to how they i find most of them have spent so much time not interacting just grinding on whatever they were starting that they're 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 struggling with that themselves they just they they have put any time into self-awareness or self-reflection mm. because they just have been grinding out the widget and then the widget sells for $150 million. Right. And now they've got a Lamborghini and a, and a $10 million yeah. house and a $4 million girlfriend. We call that computer touching. What they're doing is sitting in front of computer touching it. And that's uh they're not really working on their smooth. They don't have to, right. They don't right. have to, they're just, they're right. interfacing with, with digital uh, capacity and maybe they have a team and maybe they're part of something. But the reality is it's more like probably you and I talking right now. And, uh, and so I, I think that they, they get the wealth and then all of a sudden they look like they've like 
I don't know. Like they just, I, it's an interesting question though, Mitch. I think I'd kind of like to look into that a little bit because I, I haven't seen any research on it yet. So, so how do you think understanding your own capacity for darkness actually gives you empathy? How does that, is it, mm. I don't really understand that. I don't think it gives you that. I think that empathy, it's its own thing. It's its own structure that requires practice and, and, and process. So, you know, empathy is, a. it, it has a several kind of ways of talking about it. The way I've kind of settled into talking about it is, is empathy is like the presence without judgment. So I'm able to sit with you mm. and listen to you and kind of hear what you're saying. And, and I'm, I'm non-reactive to that because I'm not judging you. I don't, you might say something like, well, you know, all older men are a pain in the ass, you know, they just fuck the world up and they suck. If I have empathy for you, I'm not reactive to that. Because I, number one, it was generalized and I don't know if it was directed at me or not. Mm. You know, empathy requires some patience. It requires slowing down and, and judging my, where, you know, giving space for you to have your opinions and your ideas and, and then almost like creating a, a barrier between what you're saying and what I'm internalizing. Wow. I've never heard empathy explained that way. That's very interesting. But this concept of non-importance or this inability to be offended, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a uh, Carlos Castaneda thought. He's a Yaki <laughs> Indian sorcerer, right? You have to yeah, yeah, get yeah. rid of self-importance. No. And this idea of being offended means that you've given someone else the right to do something to you, right? You've given them permission. You're complicit in the act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, empathy gives me the, the opportunity to not do that. That's interesting, though. I've never seen empathy connected to this idea of self-importance or just not being offended. So my, say, I think it just gets it, it's. That's it might be my construct with it. Uh, mm -hmm. I have to caveat that, but I, I think that the, the idea that it, it allows makes sense me though. To, yeah. Well, I, I didn't like the idea that it allows me to kind of know someone's feelings or, or share their feelings, sharing mm -hmm. feelings with someone is sympathy, right? If you're like, Oh, my dog died today. And I'm like, Oh shit. Mine it, no, died it's, last it's, week. Dude, that's going to be horrible. That fe it's, I feel it. Right. It's being able to understand it. Right. It's being able to be in their shoes. Cause you're like, fuck, I have felt that. I know exactly what that feels like. That's terrible. That's sympathy. That's oh. sympathy. If, if oh. I feel it immediately, if I feel it immediately, right. What empathy to me is, is that I'm just holding space for you to have a human experience. If you're mm. like my dog got hit this morning and really crushed by it and I can go, wow, dude, that sounds bad. That sounds like it sucks. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I, I have nothing with it. Right. You didn't feel anything. Right. I didn't cause I don't need to, it's not necessary to do, to handle our conversation that way. And so empathy allows me to, to hold space, not only for you. Right. It's seeing the myself. perspective. That's the better way to right? frame it. The being, all right. So the, an example today, wife and I are working on a project. We do an SOW and there's a line item that she wants to reduce. That is my stuff. And it made it sound like she didn't think my stuff was that valuable to me. But in reality, what she was saying is no, it would sell better if we buried this over here and, and made this line item smaller. And she wasn't talking about my skill set and how it's not valuable, but because I'm a shithead, I 
was feeling self-important and I was offended by that. So if I had empathy, I would have been able to see her perspective perhaps and not been offended by it. Is that true? Okay. So maybe it's not the part about being able to see her perspective. Cause if you think about that, I'm that the statement implies that I can see inside her, I, her intention and I can't, I, my argument is that empathy provides me the opportunity to be curious. Okay. Right. I'm holding space. You just said something. I want to get rid of this line item. And that's my fucking item. And I should be I like, like what? why? What's what's the deal? What's up with that line item? So <laughs> can you take a second and explain to me why you'd like to take that out? Well, yeah, it'll be more effective and the client will be less reactive if we do it that way. I could be like, okay, that sounds reasonable. And I, I th thanks for catching it. I wrote a, like, I I wrote a cunty email I instead. I was like, nah, <laughs> fuck this. How about that? <laughs> right. So, so I would argue if, you know, Given the context of our, our discussion today, I would argue mm -hmm. that's your monster un, unregulated. Totally. Okay, so there we go. This is shadow work right right now. I just did some. I, right. I just we just took, took some... that. We took the, the initial point of friction and we went backwards into it. Okay, so then that would be, you know, that you're, for whatever reason, uh, you forgot for a moment who you were talking to and the mm -hmm. value of them in your life. And so you don't want them to be burned oh. because that creates, you know, domino problems. Yeah. And so by, by doing that, then, uh, and, and making proper evaluation, then I get to refrain my monster self because he's not necessary at this point. What's more important is that I switch into empathy and I use that energy to convey how important that person is to me and by, by giving space to them to be able to hold their opinion and to know yeah. that I'm because of my capacity, they can't say anything that's going to threaten me anyways. They could chop everything out and I'll be like, okay, cool. What are you doing with it? Why are we doing it that way? I'm going to be asking questions. Now, if they're like, well, your work sucks and you suck and they start generalizing all this attack. Well, I'm going to take offense to that. Yeah. Right, man. It's really funny though, the reactions that we have that are ingrained in ourselves, these ideas of self-importance, the way we view ourselves and our ego. And it's, it was, it's, it was strange. I, I wasn't even stressed out. There was no reason to have that response. I think I was working out or something and I just pulled out my phone and I was like, just, I got mad about it for no reason. Uh, right. It's kind of no, weird. Not for no happens. reason, because yeah. it activated some aspect of, so this is the uh, other thing I like to get away from is, the phrase, I don't know, if you're working in, in shadow, there is no, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And there is no, for no reason, no yeah. reason. Are you fucking kidding me? You just lit somebody up for no reason. Well, yeah. you got to get rid of that because yeah. we, you know, as competent men, we don't move for no reason. Right. I don't, I don't shoot someone's head off, especially somebody I care about for no fucking reason. Right. So that, so that, that, being able to like hold on to that that sense of see this is the thing i have to know my capacity to be destructive and choose not to use it and that's that's the thing that's the that choose not to use it is what throws everybody off because it's a process it's there's a mechanic in that mm -hmm. and what is that well i have to delay my gratification on venting that monster I'm going to push the energy up. I'm going to do it in a different way. How can I do it in a different way? Well, initially I was pissed off about it, but that's because I assumed something negative about someone without, rec without recognizing who they really were to me.
Yeah. That's someone who I care about and loves me and who's professed their love for me. So uh, they get the benefit of the doubt. So I build right. a box for them to fill. Right. And that's why my wife is cool because I'm an asshole all the time and there's literally no reason for it. I just have some built-in shitty hardware from, from before that makes me respond really poorly at times. And well, you know I what? It, she does too. That's the fun part about marriage. You get to work this shit out together. Yeah, you do. And I, but I, I think that the, we, we have to remember that, uh, that, Every time we vent it out onto the world, it, there's a cost. There's a cost associated with it. And the way I like to look at it is that once it's out, I can't, I don't get to regulate the cost. Right? I yeah. vented it. Yeah. And so then the cost is determined by the person who receives it. Yeah. And then that gets transferred back to me. Yep. And that's where you get guys being super defensive and they're like, fuck that. I don't care. And that's all on you. And, and they push it away. They push away the, the, the effect of their venting, uh, their lack of self-control. And so then uh, that's where I get into problems with it because that's your fucking responsibility. You put it out in the world, motherfucker. <laughs> like That's on you. And their reaction to it is your responsibility to fix they get to, they have to own what they did. You know, maybe they lose their shit. Maybe they send some bitchy stuff back, whatever it is. Uh, that's on them. But I, I, I have to take responsibility for how that came into the world. Yeah. And that, that is part of being a man taking responsibility. That is owning your shit. You have to. And if you don't, what's going to happen is your woman will start to lose respect for you. And that, loss of respect will result in her nagging you and uh, the just, nagging will continue of, you know, you know dripping that. There's thousands water. of yeah. ways right it becomes out of my control the disrespect though is what happens that it just continues to evolve into more behaviors that you would prefer not to happen but it's a result of you as the man the leader you are creating well, that problem right and if i had respect and then i lost it then that's my that's mine to own yeah if, yeah. if I, if, because shit just doesn't fall from the sky. Right. I mean, that's that, uh, Bill Burr joke. Like, you know, you should get two minutes for instigating. Like there's a prop, like you, these things just don't fall out of the sky. And in his, when he was talking, he was like talking about the fact that, you know, domestic violence just doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, and, uh, and I think expressing our monstrosity doesn't come out of nowhere either. Oftentimes somebody's poking us with a stick. Mm-hmm. But like you just said, the evolution of us as men and of competent, capable men is that you could stab me with a stick and I'm not going to give a whole bunch of shit about that because you're yeah. not anybody that can hurt me with it. Right. And, and uh, the most dangerous thing is if I decide to vent on you intentionally mm-hmm. and now you're in trouble and that, that does never, that never ends well. And so that's what I'm thinking in terms of like when I when I sit with it, it's like I have the capacity to lay waste. I mean, I'm a professional talker for fuck's sake. And I study people and I talk to people all day long, hours and hours and hours of it. And I'm really good at it. And so the the, the challenge is, is that I have to know when to put things on the table and when not to. Yeah. And so uh, that took a lot of work on my part to be able to harness that. So that, that it, is it's not simple. 
the word meekness is often confused with weakness. It's, it's not weakness at all. It's actually power under control. And the best example I can think of is me wrestling with my six-year-old twin boys. If I wanted to, I could snap them in half. But when we're wrestling, right. I'm pretending, right? We're playing. We're having fun. My power is under control. If I were to fuck up, I could really hurt them. So my power has to be under control because I could break a leg really easily roll on them the wrong way and you're breaking a leg. And the idea of being slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit captures the city. That's a proverb, right? This idea of having power under control. Those are the ones who you have to really watch for. Well, I think that like what you're talking about there is you said it in the, your explanation of it is I wanted them to have fun. You know, I, I, I want to teach them some things about wrestling and I want them to have fun. Well, when I'm talking to my partner, what do I want her to know? What do, what, do I want her to have fun? Do I want her to be interested or have some excitement or something interesting with me? Uh, what do I want? What do I want her experience to be? If I want to teach her something, is it better for me to teach her that by yelling it at her or by, you know, giving her a hug and talking to her sweetly and kind of connecting with her affectionately. You know, there's a lot of ways to take a city, you know, and, yeah. and in, uh, um, uh, Zong Tao's book, like he was talking about, uh, the art of war. He was talking about, you have to know what you're fighting against. You have to spend time knowing what you're fighting against mm. and whether or not it's a reasonable fight to begin with. Right. So that's always gotten to me, like, do your, do your homework. And the only way you can do homework is if you take time to do it. You can't walk into a conflicting situation and have never done your work with your shadow or your monster, if in this case, and expect yourself to have any kind of capacity with it. Right. And this is why young men in their early 20s, I don't recommend them getting married or in long term relationships that are very serious because they haven't done any of this work. And then you put two people together who haven't done any of this work and then you have them commit to each other. And then you add the stress of a home and children and all this other stuff. And no one's done the work yet. And you have a fucking disaster. You know how I know? That's what I did. <laughs> 21 year old retard just jumps into a marriage with a crazy girl and figures out it's not that hard. I can do it. Anybody could be a dad. It's not anyone, but yeah, doing all the work, <laughs> uh, making sure you actually understand who you are as a person and what you're capable of and what your capacity is as a man, you should not be in relationships. Uh, if you are, you shouldn't expect success in relationships. You're going to be burning people up. Left and right. Well, I think, Girls, I, I think so, whatever. Especially as a, as a man, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I think it's it's our responsibility. It's just our responsibility. It's like if I want to get good at squat, I go to the gym every day, and I, maybe I work with a mentor, or a trainer, or somebody to help me get my form down because it's hard to feel it and and know it's in the right place, and I have to get all that. I got to connect those dots, and so oftentimes I think. We don't have much of a practice of that in the in the United States of working with mentors and, and being connected to our elders and especially our elder men in our community and and so all that wisdom all that it's all lost it's all you know and so I like the fact that the work that we're trying to do is engaging uh, in that process of of mentoring and and of uh, creating sharing wisdom downstream so that. Uh, maybe some of their, their time can be less tumultuous, less yeah. problematic. 
I'm grateful yeah. for it. I love the wisdom. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of eating meat and spitting bones. And the red pill had some really helpful stuff that I read. Oh, but yeah. one guy told me that I should never apologize because alphas don't apologize. Yeah. I was like, huh? So I did that for a while and I went with that. And guess what? Didn't work out so great for me. People don't <laughs> like when you never apologize because you can do some shit and then, you know, not hold be accountable for it and just stare at people they're like they tell you a whole bunch of stuff you said yeah you just look at them like a retard and say nothing just like nope i'm sorry you feel that way <laughs> just fucking move on that's your problem but, not my problem it's like sounds well, like because you, you you apparently float off the ground like no yeah. like, like like yeah yeah that's that's a real big deal that's a great one and you know what? You might have a woman be attracted to you if you do that, but she's not going to like you very much. She might get the tingles, but she's not going to get the good feelings associated with it and the comfort. And that's the full package. So if you want to keep a woman, you can't just attract her with this alpha stuff. She needs yeah. the beta comfort too. And that's the piece that a lot of people don't understand in the red pill world is that alpha and beta are two different sides of the same coin. You have to be a really good beta if you want to keep a girl. They need comfort. They need real softness. They need that feminine side of a man. And you have to be able to present both sides of that coin or you're fucked. You can, you can get them initially, but you will not keep. Yeah. Well, because especially if you're a young man and you're looking for, and, and you're working women that are looking for long-term mating partners, like they're right. just, you know, they're not going to expose their kids to somebody or potential kids to somebody who, who can't fucking control themselves. And women who do do that um, are are not seeing the value. They, they don't know how this. Let me rephrase this. They, they haven't learned that they can they can find what they want. And so they feel like they have to take what they can get. And that's a value thing that women struggle with. And so then they, they make concessions, they make allowances. Mm -hmm. Well, he drinks a lot with his friends, but it, it'll get better when we get married or he, he's, you know, he treats people badly. He doesn't tip waiters. And, and so, uh, you know, I think that'll get better when we get married or he'll get better with, you know, and they always are making allowances. It's one of the things that's the hardest thing to get them out of the habit of doing is, is tolerating bad behavior and, and then giving some space for it. And, and, uh, um, I spent a lot of time uh, coaching women on how to uh, engage men more effectively so that they can learn really quickly whether or not you've done your fucking work or not. And if you haven't, then uh, it's not two, three, five red flags. And then maybe, you know, six months of uh, making excuses because you, I can see how it could be my fault. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and uh, this is, I'm guessing nope. you help guys on the other side too, because guys are looking oh, yeah. for girls and, and trying to avoid the red flags. It's funny. Uh, some guys, their dating strategy is they look for the girls who are waving the red flags and those are the easiest targets for them because they, they're just uh, obvious targets. But like you said, there's a strategy for every person and everyone's going for a different goal. And if you're looking for a long-term relationship, if someone's waving a red flag, you might be able to have sex with them, but they also might burn your car. <laughs> right yeah I, and i think that's you know we've had we've had several conversations about knowing what you're doing you know like this what's your goal with this and i think that that's a great way to start any kind of shadow work or or kind of knowing yourself uh and your capacities is with that intentionality like what am i doing here 
Well, I want to improve mm-hmm. my life. I want to improve my work relations. I want to, I want to have better success with women and creating, uh, something more than hookups. And I, and I think that, um, when I work with men, I often find that, that they would much prefer something more than a hookup because mm-hmm. they get what that is. And it, it's, it's a short road in a lot of ways. And, yeah. Uh, I think they really would much rather be connected to people in a long-term way and get to know somebody and have them get to know them and, and know what they like and dislike and, and care about them. Well, it's funny and, in the red pill too, know. that idea is not allowed. You're only allowed to just sleep with a whole bunch of girls and then, uh, mark them down on your bedpost and show everyone the pictures and be really proud yeah. of yourself. And to have a long-term girl is not something that they do and they don't value it. And there's a reason for that. Do you want to know why? It's because they can't achieve it. They're fucking, they're fake people and they cannot keep a woman to save their life. So instead of actually trying to change themselves and doing the work, they just jump from girl to girl to girl because it doesn't take any effort. It's easy. And honestly, I believe that's where the red pill has fallen short, where they got the ball, they marched it across and then they, they kind of left men hanging where they helped them to Mm -hmm. get to the point where they could have sex, but then they didn't help them just learn how to be normal humans and not just take advantage of people and be a taker, but how to actually give and reciprocate and be a human being. And that's where I, I'm in the group that I'm working in. We were talking a lot about self self actualization and this idea of, okay, once you get to a certain point, you can start to get to your relationships that's just, okay, great. You, you did, you did that part. Relationships are just a piece though. Mm-hmm. There's so much more past that, that you can get to and you don't have to stop there. And I think that's kind of the problem with the red pill where it's not even relationships where that's a higher point. They're just getting laid. But once you get fulfilling relationships and you feel really good about yourself, now you can start to reach your full potential. And that's what I'm trying to communicate to the guys in the group that you add these layers of pieces to your life until you get to a point where you wake up and you're consistently happy and your energy's full. And it's mm-hmm. because you have all these other pieces that are built ahead of you. You have the foundation, you've done all the work and you're living as an authentic person. You're aligned with your true self. You're not living a false self. You're not in alignment with your false self. You're in alignment with who you were actually made to be. And right. when you live in alignment, you're really happy. It's that simple. If you do the shit every day when you wake up in the morning and it makes you happy and you get paid for it, it's like, I'm telling you, it's awesome. The, the work I do, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like work to me. It's very enjoyable. I wake up every morning. I woke up at five today, not because I set an alarm. My, I just woke up because I was excited for today and I start my day and I go and I start doing things. But that was a long progression and there was a lot of work that I had to do in order to get to this point. But it's worth right. it. It's absolutely worth doing the work. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, that, you know, my understanding of the red, red pill origin was really this idea of self-awareness and, and really, uh, I think they just dropped it. It just, once it came to like, you know, uh, saying the right words and, and, uh, getting somebody to go home with you, then you, then you're done. You know, that was, that's the, uh, you've reached the top of the mountain and, uh, Maybe it is because they just didn't have the capacity to understand it differently. But uh, I think we all do. I think we all have the capacity to sort out who we are. And if we take the time and commit the energy to it, uh, we can follow, 
you know, there's a thousand different trails to the top of the mountain. And it really is just connecting with somebody who you, who you feel has a sense of, of what they're talking about in a way that resonates with you. And you're yeah. like, mm, I like what they're saying. And that's interesting. And I want to, I want to know more from that person. And, uh, that's how I learned some of the greatest stuff I know is, is from, from those experiences and, and, and really seeking people out that way. So, Likewise. uh, we stand yeah, on the shoulders so I, of giants. Right. And so I, I like to, I like to, uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard for me to think of myself as a giant, but I, I like to offer up that idea that, um, um, sharing what I know, it's one of the reasons why we, we started on the podcast was just to be able to kind of put out a different idea and, and bring a different way of, of looking at things to the table to try and help, uh, and, and support men to, to you know, work it out and, yeah. and be good, good people in their lives. It's a new like, concept uh, nowadays. Like, like yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it's like Ferris, Tim Ferris talks about in terms of like the, the five people you spend the most time with. It's like, you want to surround yourself with, with top notch people. And, you know, for the most, you know, the, the, you want the three of that five to be people that are, are in some ways excelling beyond you. Yeah. And I always, I always was always thinking, oh, that's great. And I want to try and do that around me. Uh, but I also want to be the top one or two or three of other people's five people they know. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be at the top of that list. Totally. Right? And so that's kind of my thought about it is so the reading and the, and studying yeah. and trying to solve problems and work on things, uh, staying in the work is really, uh, what drives me to be that one or two of the top people that yeah. people know. What I was going to say before was it's interesting nowadays, the new flex is mental health, right? Yeah. Not drinking is becoming uh, a new topic. It's becoming in vogue to not drink. Yeah. And that's a, that's a weird thing to see that kind of shift. Uh, maybe it's just the pockets that I'm in, but it feels like it's becoming a more normal thing where people are, men specifically are actually talking about mental health and trying to improve themselves and working on their emotions because historically speaking, men don't talk about their emotions. And now it's becoming a thing where it's very common. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Where do you think that, where did this idea come from? I, I think it was Joe Rogan. That's my guess. It's probably Joe. Well, I mean, I, I the, there's a couple of things. So in my practice, I began to realize that the people who drink a lot are, are stunted in their capacity. It just fucks with you. And, and if you listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast on alcohol, yeah, you, you get a very clear scientific understanding of why. I mean, it's poison. And, and so uh, I'm not against having a cocktail every now and then and, and enjoying a margarita on the back porch and, uh, and that kind of feeling you get from it. But if you have work to do, if you're serious about shit you need to get done, whether it's, whether it's a business meeting uh, in my opinion, you know, banging the misses, whatever it is, like I'm serious about it. And if I'm serious about it, then you're intoxicated, then you're wasting time, mm -hmm. you're wasting your effort and you're an annoyance to other people. Yeah. It's a right? half measure. It's, I don't want to be too hard on it, but I, I just find it just not worth my time. It's just not yeah. worth it. You know, like if you're, if you're intoxicated and we sit down at a table and you're like, let's talk about this big deal I thought I had. And I'd be like, yeah, maybe tomorrow. 
yeah. like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. You're, you're a dummy right now. Yeah. I mean, your IQ is, you're, 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 I can't remember what uh, Huberman said, but it, your IQ is stunted. It's like, yeah. it's, it's a measurable amount less. Yeah. Yep. And not only that, but you're more reactive, uh, you're more impulsive. <clears throat> yeah, it's just, fuck it. I feel like if you're I a narcissist or if you have those tendencies, it makes you more narcissistic too, at least for myself. I don't know if that's true. Well, it takes, it takes the social constraints off of you, right? Yeah. And so whatever, whatever, whatever bad relationship you have with your monster, guess what's out on the fucking street? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you are. You are that in and without constraint. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting I mean, way to put it, it. It puts your whole frontal lobe to sleep. So what else you got to work with? Right. You know, and when you say it puts your whole frontal lobe to sleep, is that off of uh, a small amount or do you have to uh, reach a certain threshold where it just kicks off? Well, I think it's situational, right? Everybody's sensitivity to alcohol, like mine's really hot. Uh, I have a very low threshold, so <clears throat> I can't go that far. Um, and I've known people that can, you know, drink a fucking 24 pack and, and still frame a house. So right. like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but I think that, uh, but basically the neurons are not firing properly and your whole free frontal, or your, you know, the whole frontal lobe is just kind of, yeah, he was saying, he shitty. was saying, I think it's like, three ounces in two hours or I can't remember what he said. It was some small where you were like, Oh shit, that's not very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you start to feel the effects of it. So I think if you, if the way I would look at it is if, if you have work you want to get done, no matter what that work is, whether it's dating or whether it's uh, business or physical fitness or whatever, uh, <clears throat> alcohol will steal your capacity and it will dampen your your ability to show your best self. Yeah. And that's in the gym as well. I think it crushes like 40% of your gains, like right out of the gate. And that's like three drinks a week. And so, not to mention, it destroys your gut health. And then also oh, your body can't produce serotonin because it, it has uh, depleting your GABA. And, and GABA is required in order to make that. Yep. And also your dopamine shot, which makes you're anxious as fuck now too. So when you get that big business meeting with your boss, you're all fucking anxious for no reason. <laughs> and you're hyper reactive so when he's like you know i'm really concerned about your performance you you lose your shit and get yeah. yourself fired so the shadow self is probably more likely to come out when you're depleted on serotonin Absolutely. dopamine and gaba yeah and you're, you're or you're not dickhead. sleeping yeah. you know anything that creates fatigue the rem blocker the brain. yeah total rem blocker total rem blocker so uh yeah that's and so i think hopefully the information's getting out about it and Young yeah. men are deciding that, uh, but the way if I look at it is if you want to go out with your friends and have a bunch of beers, great, do that. But that's not yeah. the work. You, don't try and do work at the yeah, same yeah. time, you know? Yeah, but I watched a video today on TikTok and it said, if you're going to drink alcohol, you should eat food, then wait two hours until all the protein has been processed, then drink the alcohol and make sure you do it three hours before bed. So I'm like, great. I got to drink it <laughs> fucking two o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and I know, I know. I know a lot of young people say that the alcohol gives them, you know, confidence and it, it helps them, you know, communicate more freely. Yeah. And I would say uh, very small amounts. I agree. A beer and, is a and great a, amount. About a third of that's probably placebo as well. Yeah. So let's develop the skill to be able to do that without the alcohol. And yeah. then when you put the alcohol on board, you know, you, you're, you have more competency. 
Yeah. Uh, I told my wife that I used to podcast, you know, in the past and I would have a couple of beers always when I podcast because I would have nerves. Yeah. Right. And I don't do that anymore because I realized I went back and I listened to it and I was fucking sloppy and slurring sometimes. And I was like, that's <laughs> you pretty wanna, embarrassing. You want to watch what happens. Just watch uh, any one of the uh, Save Our Parks Rogan podcasts. Save Our Parks? Where he's, yeah, the Save Our Parks ones. Oh, where he's geez. got Ari Shafir and Mark Norman and Sam Gillis. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I don't come on. Or Sam Gillis. Yeah, I think that's his name. Uh, Protect Our Parks. Protect Our Parks. Yeah, thanks. They get fucked up, yeah. and 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 the, the capacity to tell a story or yeah, hold a conversation diminished <laughs> significantly. <laughs> like Ari floats off; he just stops talking altogether. He's just like you know, Mark is like so stoned, like he can't form his ideas, and Gillis is just like yammering on about like the dumbest shit. And Rogan is just giddy; he just laughs all the time, and he's like. So that's the thing, you know, if you're going to try and, and connect with people in any kind of reasonable way that you're not already friends with, right, right. that don't already know you, uh, that's a bad way to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's a bad way to do it. But anyway, I hope that's, I hope that that's the, the, the we're moving away from alcohol. It is such a very major problem yeah so mental health and alcohol you know it's it's a new fad now that's the new uh the new flex right yeah good stuff all right well what do you say we uh we land this plane we've been up in the air for a while i think so yeah sounds good i appreciate it and and uh, enjoyed chatting with you about it man yeah, and if, and if anyone out there, if you guys are in the need of a mental health professional, Dr. P is taking clients and we would love to chat with you. So f- feel free to reach out, chat with us. Um, you can join the Discord. There are links in the description. You can find us. We are available. 